Okay, I've, um, in preparing for the message this morning, I estimate that it'll be about an hour and a half long. And you think I'm joking. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it in two Sundays and we'll come out just about even. Um, so keep in mind as we go here that this is going to be the first half of a, of a meditation on scripture that, that the passage in front of us today in 1 Timothy chapter 5 kind of provokes this study and these thoughts. And it's too big to actually cover in one Sunday. So I'm going to do it in two. So this is, this is part one. But turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If um, you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bible in the back of the seat in front of you. It'll be on page 1412. 1 Timothy 5. And I'm going to begin again back at verse 17. So we get the whole paragraph from 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. But our attention then will be towards the end of that paragraph. So let me begin reading at verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. You'll remember that last week we looked at verse 21. So we're picking up in this passage in verse 22. But if you look at 22 all the way through the end, through 25, there's a theme that runs in there. Um, and it's about, it's about sin. Now, verse 23 is kind of it appears odd to us. It's kind of seems like it's just kind of dropped in in the middle. You know, if verse 23 wasn't there and you were just reading 22 to 24 to 25, it would make perfect sense. So, um, but uh, 23 we want to deal with and we'll, we'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But you see that he's saying in verse 22, don't, don't lay hands upon anyone too hastily, he says, and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Now, we'll remember that in this, uh, in this letter, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor, more or less, as we would call him, over the church in, in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Paul's giving Timothy instructions on how to deal with certain issues. And we saw all the way from the beginning in chapter one 
that there were some false teachers. There was some heresy going on, wrong teaching. And there were teachers who were apparently from within the church in Ephesus. So these were leaders, elders, leaders in the church who were going, they're getting off track. And they're, they're, they're influencing people away from the gospel. And Paul's writing this letter, in, among other things, he's trying to help Timothy deal with this problem. And he gets to this section, as we've read, and he talks about elders. And he's saying, you know, on the one hand, you, you don't just accuse them willy-nilly about something. There has to be a legitimate problem that's, that's substantiated by two or three witnesses. But if there is that problem, then you really do deal with it. And so we, we, we kind of um, deduce from all of this that probably what's happening in, in this whole setting was is that some of the elders were being removed because they were getting all, they were the false teachers and they were being removed. And so there's gaps now in the leadership and there's going to be a need to fill in those gaps. But now in the face of that need, we, he says in verse 22, but don't lay hands on someone too quickly. In other words, don't ordain a man to be an elder in the church, a leader and a teacher in the church. Don't do that too fast. Don't, don't feel the pressure that, okay, now your, your ranks are depleted. It's been a bad situation. Some have left. You're feeling the need to fill the, fill the blanks. Don't, don't get pushed to set a man aside for ministry that isn't really ready. Because if you do that, <clears throat> he says, that man won't be ready. He'll wind up sinning later in some way, or he'll wind up leading others to sin. It's going to be a bad situation. And because you laid hands on him too quickly, you were going to share in the sins of others. And then he says, you don't want to do that. And look at the end of verse 22. Keep yourself free from sin. Now, it's interesting because in verse 22, where he says, you know, don't share, he says, in the response or share responsibility for the sins of others. That's the little Greek word koinonia. And I mention it in Greek because we've heard that word before. That's the very same word that's translated fellowship. And he's saying, don't fellowship with other people's sin. Don't share responsibility with their sin. Don't participate with other people's sin. Keep yourself free from sin. So you see, sin is, we can fellowship with sin, and that's a fellowship that we do not want. We don't want to participate with that. And he ends this verse saying, keep yourself free from sin. Keep yourself free from sin. There's a great warning and an urgency in the Apostle Paul. And you pick up here a, a, a hint of the view that Paul has about sin. And he's saying, you've got to take sin seriously. And you want to, you want to stay away from sin. You keep yourself free from sin. I have to ask myself, do we think that way about Sin. Do we give sin the serious attention that God gives it? I want you to <clears throat> think about something. I mentioned this in a Sunday school class several months ago, but if, if there was no sin, how big would your Bible be? Think about this for a second. I'll, I'll show you how big it would be. 
I mean, you got to get through all the intro, intro, intro. Okay, here's Genesis. That's how big it would be. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's it. That's the whole Bible. If there's no sin, is right there. The rest of this is there because sin is here. Amen? If, there, if there's no sin, there's no need for all the rest of this. Sin is one of the great realities of human existence. Evil is present. And we may not have all the answers. As a matter of fact, we do not have all the answers for why did God allow this? We don't know all of those answers. But we do know that evil is present. And the, and the worst place that we find that evil is right inside our own heart. Amen? We, we ourselves do not do all that God would want us to do. One person uh, calls, tried to define sin as this way. Said, Any lack of conformity to the moral will of God or the moral law of God in our attitudes, in our actions, in our thoughts. You've often heard of people talk about thought, word, and deed, that we can sin in that way. We can break God's law. <clears throat> By, by not thinking the way we ought to think, by not speaking the way we ought to speak, by not doing what we ought to do. Um, we do what's wrong. We think what's wrong. We say what's wrong. And it's not so much that there's a law there. We can think of the Ten Commandments that there. That we, yes, we break them. But the, the Ten Commandments reflect, they're a reflection of a holy God and a righteous God, a God in whom there is no flaw or spot, and, and that a creature of his that would live in a way that reflects him would never, would never break any of the Ten Commandments. In even their thoughts, think of this. It may be that the darkest part of your record before God is what you don't think. It's not even in what you do or say. And it's not even in what you think. It's in what you don't think. That your mind, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, is not filled with, with God and with a love for Him. Your heart isn't stirred to love Him. And seek him and obey him. That that's the very heartbeat of yours. And yet we're, 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 so, we're so below that, are we not? And that's all, all of that is, is sin. But there are sins. You know, there are things that we do that are wrong and they're sin. They break God's law. They, they just go against who God is. And, and Paul... Is, is reflecting here and he's saying, don't put a young man too quick into a position where he's leading others spiritually. Because if you do that, he's going to get in trouble. He's going to get other people in trouble and you're going to fellowship with that. Keep yourself free from sin. In thinking about this and about sin, I, I want to think first about what this, what sin means to us. But that is really not the whole picture. And that's why this is going to have to spill over into next week. 
and and we'll look at that even later on in the in the chapter because it's really what does sin mean to god that's the actual crux of the matter that's where we see what sin really is but i'm going to start and ease us into that by today thinking about what does it mean to me when i sin and i want to share quickly in the time remaining six realizations that we should each have about sin and about when i sin what does that mean to me first realization when i sin i choose pleasure over against wholeness when i sin i choose pleasure over wholeness and in this in this meditation today i'm going to go to different passages of scripture i i'm going to spring off of this in first timothy 5 um, in ephesians 5:18 it says this and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In that passage, he's saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's contrasting the two. If you're drunk with wine, you're not filled with the Spirit. And actually, being drunk is dissipation. You know, when I read that, I think, okay, I know dissipation is an English word. But I don't hear anybody like talking about that, right? I mean, we don't use that word in normal conversation. So what does that mean? So, of course, I grab the dictionary and, and this is what dissipation is, um, is defined as. It's an immoderate indulgence of physical pleasures. Now, that makes more sense to me. Physical pleasures are a part of our life and they are not all wrong. It's not wrong for that. But, but, um, there can be an indulgence in, my, in physical pleasures and an immoderate indulgence of that is called dissipation. That's what drunkenness is. Drunkenness, using drugs, things like that, is we're, we're doing it because we want the pleasure. We indulge ourselves in it. And, but here's the, here's the thing. You don't sin you don't choose sin without choosing against something else. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, over here we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, free to do His will in our lives. And there's a wholeness, a shalom, as they say in the Old Testament, a, a wholeness, a, a satisfaction, a peace. A goodness that I experience here. And when I choose to indulge myself, I trade away that. See, I, you don't do this and keep this. You, you either have this or that. And we need to realize that, that when we choose sin we, and choose pleasure, we, we trade away the wholeness that God has for us. Secondly, second realization, when I sin, I guarantee rot in my life. That's spelled R-O-T, like rotten. I do want you to turn here, turn to Galatians chapter 6 and look at verses 7 to 8. It's on page 1388, Galatians 6 verses 7 to 8. The Apostle Paul is also writing this. These are crucial verses to understand. 
He says, I'm going to wait till I hear the pages stop. Okay. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is, this is amazing how he begins. He says, do not be deceived. You see, there's a very real possibility that the point that he's getting ready to speak on is, is something that people will overlook and they deceive themselves. We deceive ourselves about what's coming. And what he's saying is, is that if you plant tomato seeds, you get tomatoes. You never get corn. If you plant corn, you get corn. You don't get tomatoes. He says, if you, if you sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. Amen. But we can be deceived and we tend to be deceived on this very point. When I was thinking of this, I, I thought about our time as missionaries in, in East Africa and where we lived was only six degrees south of the equator. We lived very close to the equator. And that means that the sun was very hot. And um, the kind of skin I was born with is different. It's, it's not an accident that sub-Saharan Africa is populated by people with dark pigment skin. They can tolerate that a lot better than I. And... Um, when I would go to leave the house, maybe I was going to be out all day. My dear wife would say, here's the sunscreen, you know, use the sunscreen. And I would say, nah, because I hate smearing the stuff on me. I hate smearing stuff on me. I don't like smearing stuff on me. So I would say, ah, it's okay. And my wife's like thinking, it's not okay. You know, you, you, you're, and you're going to be out all day. Use the sun. And I'd say, no, it, it's okay. And I'd grab whatever I needed and, and go. And then I would come back that night looking like a lobster, red, burned to pieces. And my wife's like still holding the uh, sunscreen. It's like, you know, and for 11 years, I would say, no, it's okay. Well, sometimes I'd smear stuff on and then I'd realize I don't like to smear stuff on. And then I'd go out and then I'd get burned up and then I'd come back. And I was just, what, what was wrong with me? You know, I'm a white guy living in Africa. If you go out all day, you're going to come back looking like a red guy. There is no, you don't do, it doesn't work. How many times do I have to do that? You can't go out there and not get sunburned. Cliff, you can't do it. It's the same. That's the idea that Paul's saying here. He's saying, do not be deceived. You can't sow to the flesh and reap life. It doesn't work that way. And it's very interesting too here. He says, did you see that? He says, God is not mocked. It would be a mockery to God for you or me to just go ahead and sin and to sow to my flesh, to my sinful nature, just do things that feed my sin nature. And then it's okay because I'm a Christian or because I'm what? Because I don't like to smear stuff on me. It's going to somehow work out okay. That would be a mockery to God. 
What Paul's saying is, God will not be mocked. If you sow to the flesh, and then here comes the rot. It says, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption is decay. It's deterioration. It's rot. It's putrid, rotting stuff. And that's what comes into my life if I sow to the flesh. One of the great ways Satan works is he works against us to just to make small compromises. To look at something that you shouldn't look at, but it's not too bad. To say something that's a little bit untrue, but I wouldn't call it a big fat lie. Um, to, to get us in small increments to compromise with sin. But that small little increment is a sowing to my flesh. And God will not be mocked. If I sow to the flesh, I will reap rot. It always works that way because God will not be mocked. We need to realize that as we think about sin. And as we remember Paul's words to Timothy, keep yourself free from sin. Third, third realization. When I choose to sin, I compound whatever problem I already have. Now here, for the rest of our time, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. It's, it's so full of, of good truth. So turn to Hebrews 12. And we'll begin at verse 12. It's on page 1432. I compound the problem that I already have when I continue to sin. In Hebrews 12, verse 12, it says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And then verse 13, it says, And make straight paths for yourself, for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is great. He's, say, he's using this picture. He says, you've got, you've got your lame. You, you've hurt your leg. Your hip is all, uh, it hurts. You've stretched it. And so you're limping. And this is an illustration. He's saying, you, you, you've, you've, you've sinned. You've got a problem. Yesterday, you made a problem for yourself. The day before yesterday, somewhere in your past, you've made a problem for yourself. Now you want to straighten your life out and go forward. So you're limping a little bit. So then he says, you see that in verse 13, make straight paths for yourself. Live right today. Because if the path is straight, meaning it's level now, you're going to start to recover from what you've incurred on yourself yesterday. But if you don't make a straight path for yourself, if you walk on a rocky path, in other words, if you choose more sin today, you're going to not only limp, now you're going to put your, your hip out of joint. Now you're worse than you were. You'll complicate your problem that already exists if you don't today decide, I'm going to keep myself free from sin. Amen? You don't dig yourself out of the hole that you got yourself in by sinning today. It was your sin that got to the problem. Now make things right. And if you live right today, slowly now your sore joint will heal. God in his grace will bring you out and correct it. 
but not if you keep making things worse today. I think in this light, and I mentioned this to some of you once in a Sunday school class, Proverbs 22.5 comes to mind here. It says, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. He's saying the one who's perverse, meaning the one who turns things upside down, the one who chooses sin over choosing God, he finds thorns and snares in his way. But the one, the one who guards himself, who takes Paul's word, keep yourself free from sin, he takes those words seriously, that one finds a, a clear path. I remember again being in Tanzania and they had, they had this thing, this bush called a wait a minute bush. They, in Swahili they call it subili kidogo. It means wait a little bit. And it was called in English, that's a wait a minute bush. It looked, it'd be about this high or so and it had long spindly uh, branches. It was kind of like a, a weeping willow, but a little little bush instead of a big tree and had long wavy branches that would blow in the wind very small little leaves and lots of thorns and the thorns didn't just stick out like this they were like fish hooks they were curved like this you're starting to get the picture why they're called wait a minute because if you're walking by and you if this thing gets you you've got to wait a minute to get out well, one time we were working with the church there and the church had a, a farm out, out away from the village. So you had to go through it and we were going to widen the path so that I could drive my truck in there so that when we harvested, I could, we could harvest it into the truck and drive out. So we had our machetes and we'd stretch out along the path and we're trying to widen the path. And I came along, waited, oh, wait a minute, Bush. And I thought, and it looked, you know, it was all wavy. I thought, ah, if I just, if I like hit this, just hard enough, I'll slice that branch off and we'll be all right. So I went, whoosh, and the whole bush went, whoosh, and the, whoosh, ah, you know, one that got me in the ear, knocked my microphone off. Yeah, got, got me right here. So then what do you do? Your first instinct is you pull back. Wrong. Bad mistake, because these are fish hooks. So I pulled. Oh, and then another one came around and went, ah, got me right here. And I hadn't learned yet, so I pulled again. Ah, and so another one came around. Ooh, got me right here. So now you pull in and oh, you're right here. And you're stuck. And by now, now I'm bleeding. This isn't funny. You're laughing, but I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. Now, fortunately, we had said, okay, I'm going to take about 50 yards. You take. So nobody could see me. So I'm not embarrassed. I'm bleeding, but I'm not embarrassed. So I'm all stuck. And let me tell you something. There was only one way to get out of a, wait a minute, Bush. That is, you stop and you do one thorn at a time. Usually you start with the one that hurts the most. It's like the one that's in my ear. I'm taking it out. You know, I so see you, you pull it out and one by one, you take every one and you don't go anywhere. You wait a minute until you're all done and you get out. And then you go around it. That's the way you get out of sin too. You know what? The one who chooses sin compounds his problem, compounds her problems. You just keep making your life more complicated and you have to stop and deal with each thorn individually. You've got to repent. You've got to acknowledge this is wrong. God, it's wrong. Help me change. Forgive me. 
cleanse me. I'm, I'm not going to do this again. I turn away from it. And one by one, you deal with every sin. And then you're clear. And then you can go forward. Amen? But when you choose sin, you've got to realize that you're going to compound and complicate the problems that you already have. Fourth, fourth realization. I will cause trouble for other people. Look down at verse 15. So we're in Hebrews 12. It says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do you see that? Now this is speaking particularly about the, the sin of bitterness. But I believe that it, it, it applies particularly to bitterness, but it can apply also to other sin. We give in to the deception of the evil one that if I sin, I can just keep it a private matter. It's not really going to hurt anybody else, but it'll maybe hurt me or but maybe I'll get over that, but it won't hurt anybody else. But this scripture is saying... It by it, many will be defiled. Bitterness is described here as a root that springs up and grows and its tentacles go out beyond the person that has bitterness and it reaches out to others. And it says many will be defiled by this sin. And I believe that it applies also to to many or most, if not all other sins. It's a deception, my friend. That you can somehow compromise with God's will and not hurt other people. You will hurt other people. And it begins, the hurt begins with those who are closest to you. If I choose sin, I cause trouble for other people. That is what God says. Fifthly, a fifth uh, realization Stay right there in that passage. If I, if I choose sin, I lose some opportunities forever. I never get them back. Let's start again at verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. You know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. You might remember the story of Esau and his brother, how Esau was out, out hunting and and uh, all day, and his brother Jacob was back at home, and there was a, a stew. He had made a stew, and Esau comes back, and he's famished. He'd been hiking around the countryside all day. He comes back, and Esau was a godless person. He, he, he calls him godless there. Esau was one who would put his pleasure above God's will and his wholeness. He's the one that didn't realize or didn't care the very first thing we said this morning about when you sin, you trade off the wholeness that God gives you. You trade that away for pleasure, physical pleasure. 
Esau did that all the time. So he comes in. Now Esau is the firstborn. And in the time and culture there, there were certain rights that came to him, certain privileges, blessings that came to the firstborn. Jacob being the secondborn, he wanted those. He wasn't Lily White himself. He had problems too. But uh, here he is, and he's got the food that Esau wants. Esau had, hey, give me some of that stuff. And Jacob saw his change and says, well, you give me your blessing. You give me what comes to you as the firstborn. Pass it over to me, and then I'll give it to you. And like a fool, he did that. He says, okay, and they made an agreement. And then he gave him this meal. And so for one meal, he trades away all that would come to him as the firstborn. Later, of course, his stomach is full and Esau realizes what he's done. And he he repents in the sense of he feels bad about it. He feels sorry and he wants it back. And he he even wept. He, He sought to have it back with tears and he didn't get it. Some times, my friend, when we sin, we, we lose things forever. We lose opportunities. Sometimes we lose relationships. We lose blessings. We lose things forever and we never get them back. Because we saw the pot of stew and we chose it. And you have to you have to remember this, my friend. Sometimes Satan gets in there and he says, well, you're a Christian. You're forgiven. You know, it's going to work out. You can sin and it'll be all right. Listen, God's view of sin doesn't change because he saved you. His his response to sin is the same. He is still who he is. He will not be mocked. And yes, we can find forgiveness, but we don't always get the opportunity back that we've bargained away for sin. My friend, my friend, you've got to realize, I have to realize that we lose some things forever with our sin. And then lastly, number six, and we're still there in Hebrews 12. I invite God's discipline into my life. Look, look, go back up to verse 5 there in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And it quotes Old Testament passage. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And then skip to verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, when we sin, we're inviting God, our father, to discipline us. He's going to, quote unquote, spank us in some way. He's going to move into our life to correct us. Because he loves us. He, he talks about this love. You know, we've got all kinds of people giving us advice about how we're supposed to raise our children these days in this culture. And most of it is some kind of uh, dis- discipline-less way of looking at it. Like somehow we can raise kids without disciplining them. You've got to discipline them. And, and um, uh, in some way or another. And, and God's saying... <clears throat> 
I love you. And I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's there in verse 11. In your life. And that won't happen if you keep sinning. So if you set your course to sin, I'm going to move into your life. And I'm going to discipline you. And that discipline isn't going to seem joyful, it says in 11. I like the understatement. (laughs) All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But God loves us. He loves us enough to, to, to actually sacrifice some of our joy in order to get us back on the right track. It's one thing to be spanked by your dad. It's another thing to be spanked by God. He never misses. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm, I'm thinking of so many. Now that my kids are older, you know, I can kind of tell stories a little bit. And besides, they're all, they, none of them live here anymore. So <clears throat> I remember one time our son had a book in his back of his pants because he thought I wouldn't notice. <laughs> Oh, that's great. He was 16 at the time. No, no, I'm just kidding. He was a little guy. Not talking about child abuse. That's horrific. That's awful. I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm just talking about a, a, a regulated discipline that helps the child learn. But but that's what God does. And as a parent, you know, you don't like revel in, in disciplining your kid. As a matter of fact, you... you it, you don't really want to. And on one hand, you don't want to discipline your child. But you, as the adult, you look pat. You live longer. You know that if I keep letting this kid do this when, when they're two, what about when they're 12 and then 16? I can't. This is bad for them. They, they can't live like this. So for their sake, and because I love them and I see beyond what they see, I discipline. Amen. It's love that motivates me to do that. It's not anger or anything like that. That's bad. You don't do that in anger. That's what God does. That's what God does with us. And you know, don't you don't want that. You don't want him administering discipline in your life because he will do it. Got to realize that. And so we realize the scripture teaches us, among other things, that when I sin, I, I choose pleasure, momentary pleasure over wholeness. I guarantee rot in my life. I compound whatever problem I already have. I cause trouble for other people. I lose some opportunities forever. And I invite the discipline of God into my life. And that's why Paul says, keep yourself free from sin. And and it comes up in other ways in the scriptures. In Romans, it says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He's actually saying, hate, this is Romans 12, 9, hate evil. When it's coming your way, hate it. In Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Paul said, in view of this, I also do my best to take pains to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. And that word take pains is the word practice. It's like an athlete driving his body or her body to perform beyond what feels good. But he's going to keep pushing 
his body. She's going to keep pushing the limits. And that's what Paul is saying there in that verse. He's saying, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to train myself. I'm going to do everything I can so that I have a clear conscience before God and before men. I'm going to hate sin. I'm going to run from it. And indeed, he even uses that in Timothy where he says, flee Flee over and over. It's more than once in the scripture. It says, flee sin. He uses the word, run from it. That's the way we ought to live, is, is, is running from sin. And that's what sin means to us. But again, if God gives us life to live till next week, and we don't take that for granted, we've had three three funerals that we've been involved with this week. But he gives us life. I want to look, though, to round the picture out on what does this, what does sin mean to God? Look at it from his perspective, for it adds what is lacking this morning. But I'd leave you with a quick verse. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And I want to ask you, has God been working on your life? Has God been speaking to you about some compromise in your life and you've been stiffening your neck? You've been resisting what God has been saying to you. Listen again to Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stick, stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. There is an end to God's patience. Repent of your sin. Reject it. Call on God. In, in Hebrews 12, where we were looking, it says, you remember how he said, he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, etc., etc. It's the grace of God that ransoms us out of sin, that, will, that does offer us forgiveness, and then he offers us the strength to live differently. You can run to Christ as his patience is still there. But if you stiffen your neck, the patience will be over and you'll be broken beyond remedy. My friend, turn away from your sin and turn to God and go to him and find in Jesus Christ forgiveness and strength. But don't just stiffen your neck. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, though incomplete this presentation is, Yet it has been true. And I ask, O oh Father, that you would take and use this in our lives. You are the great surgeon of the soul. You are the one who sees and knows all. I do not. But you see and know each of our hearts where we are compromising, where we are deceived. Undeceive us even now and give us resolve within our hearts to reject the compromise and to walk close to you, to flee from sin, to abhor it, to take pains, to practice hard, to be free from it, and to run unattached un to any thorn bush, unhindered on straight paths, and walk with you, Lord. Do that afresh 
in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.